everybody and welcome to the Heart Podcast. I'm delighted to be joined today by Professor Catherine Otto, who is the Editor-in-Chief of Heart. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and if you do, please leave us a rating and subscribe to the Heart Podcast in your podcast app of choice. I hope you enjoy the show. Catherine, many thanks for joining me. Thank you for inviting me to talk. Catherine, I really wanted to get you onto this episode because it is uh, a focus on valvular heart disease, which I know is something that's uh, a particular specialty interest of yours. Can you give us a little bit of background as to how you put this issue together and why it's needed? Yeah, we we were very interested in putting together a focus issue on valvular heart disease because we're getting so many really excellent papers on this topic. And I think if you look back over the past few decades, it's really dramatic, you know, how much our understanding of valve disease has improved. You know, we have better imaging modalities, we can do sequential evaluation, we have new treatment options which are, you know, offering reduced symptoms and longer survival and and the recognition of just how common valve disease is, particularly aortic stenosis has really led to just an upsurge in research. I think the other thing that really is fascinating about valve disease is that the kinds of research really span a spectrum from, you know, basic science to look at disease mechanisms, epidemiologic studies to look at prevalence, look at risk factors, imaging studies, trying to understand if we can both diagnose and understand the disease process better through imaging, and then, you know, clinical studies looking at pathophysiology disease course, and and most importantly, recently, interventional studies looking at the efficacy of new transcatheter and surgical treatments. You know, and because of that, I just think there's just so many people interested and it brings together uh, scientists and clinicians across disciplines. So we really just wanted to highlight that in heart. And the papers we have are largely clinical, but I think they highlight some of the the challenges and the uh, interest in this topic. Brilliant. So why don't we run through... Uh, the highlights of some of these papers. The the first one deals with TAVI or TAVR, as you would probably say in the US, uh, transcatheter aortic valve replacement, and whether we should use anticoagulation uh, after the procedure. Can you talk a little bit about that paper? Yeah, and I think you know, so this question has come up because the, the issue that we really only have reliable valve durability data on transcatheter valves up to about five years because of the populations in whom the, the procedure has been done. And there's been some concerns about, you know, are these valves going to be durable long-term or not? We all, of course, hope they will be. But the concerns people have, you know, are, you know, that the geometry of the valve design is a little different. There haven't been anti-calcification treatments in some of the early generation versions. The valve leaflets have to be crimped uh, to fit into the catheter before deployment, you know, and, and other considerations about the stress-strain relations on the leaflets. And then one possibility has been, you know, that thrombosis, particularly early after implantation, might contribute to later valve degeneration and calcification. So a group of researchers, really a multi-center group, tried to tried to look at that, um, and they, they, they started with over, you know, about 2,400 uh, patients and did a propensity score matched analysis with 622 patients in each group to say, you know, is there any difference with anticoagulation versus no anticoagulation after valve implantation? And they found, you know, that uh, those receiving anticoagulation, you know, had 
um, no change in gradient over time and a lower incidence of hemodynamic deterioration. So there did seem to be a difference. The absolute difference was 0.6% uh, versus 3.9% with an increase in gradient over this 29-month follow-up um, in those on anticoagulation versus not. However, kind of paradoxically, there was really no difference in death or stroke over that short follow-up interval related to whether or not the gradient went up. So pretty interesting data, kind of provocative, and I think the really don't have a final conclusion as to whether we need to use anticoagulation in these patients or not. And do you, do you know what the anticoagulation used in the trial in was? Yeah, most of them it was uh, vitamin K, right, because of the, you know, so uh, warfarin or Coumadin because of the time course of the study. Yeah. And, you know, that that's the other issue is if we could use the newer oral anticoagulants, would that make it more attractive? And most of these patients are elderly. They have, you know, their mean age is 81, so there's a risk of falling. The, the difficulties in taking uh, warfarin correctly are a challenge. So I think there's a lot of issues to address there. And then in a linked editorial, uh, the authors speculate, as you say, that perhaps uh, valve failure may be related to calcification, which may ultimately go back to thrombosis on the valve leaflets. And um, they, they put some messages in there. Uh, do you have any comment to make on the editorial? Yeah, this I think is... that's, you know, I think the editorial really puts it in perspective, encourage people to go read that because, you know, the issue of whether, um, you know, there's also some question of whether vitamin K anticoagulation actually increases your risk of calcification. So I think there's, you know, it's a difficult issue as to whether we should be anticoagulating or not. Yeah, it's definitely not a settled issue as, as yet. And uh, sticking with the aortic valve, but turning to aortic regurgitation, the second study you've highlighted uh, is really um, an interesting one from a very clinical perspective. Can you talk about that one for a, a little while? Yeah, so these authors wanted to address the issue of, you know, in chronic severe regurgitation, we all know that we should follow patients prospectively and, and replace their valve before their left ventricle fails or their ejection fraction falls. Yet we all see patients who don't even present to a physician until they have severe left ventricular dysfunction due to aortic regurgitation. And the question of what to do in those patients who are now high surgical risk and, and will they get better been bit, has been a bit controversial. So again, they had to, illustrating the challenges in valve research, they started with a, a very large echocardiography database, like 150,000 echoes, to find people with aortic regurgitation and then to find people with aortic regurgitation who had an LV ejection fraction less than 35%. They only found 40 patients. So, you know, it's a pretty uncommon condition, really. Um, but in those 40 patients, um, over a, about a six-year follow-up, those who did have their valve replaced had a much lower mortality than those who did not have their valve replacement. The mortality was about 30% versus about 90%. So a huge difference in mortality um, and multivariate analysis to try to correct for differences suggested that you know, this is a, a, a real difference and not just patient selection. It's challenging to interpret, though, because this course is not randomized. Um, and I think it illustrates, though, we'll probably never have a randomized trial. If you have to have that many patients to find 40 people, it's going to be very difficult to ever do a randomized trial. Absolutely. For 150,000 down to 40, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I have to say, though, it, it, does, it does match with what the guidelines say. So, you know, in mitral regurgitation, we say if your ejection fraction is too low, 
you may do worse with surgery because of the issue of um, you know afterload and the effects on the ventricle with taking away the low impedance uh, circuit through the regurgitant valve. With aortic regurgitation, the hemodynamics are different. It is both pressure and volume overload. So you're taking away the pressure overload. So the guidelines don't give a lower limit of ejection fraction for, for operating in aortic regurgitation. So this does support what the guidelines already say is that with aortic regurgitation, it's sort of never too late to at least consider valve replacement because many of these patients will have an improvement. And uh, let's move on to the mitral valve now. This is a, a paper which is comparing mitral valve repair versus mitral valve replacement. And uh, it's, a, it's a really elegant study. I find this one uh, particularly difficult to manage in my own practice to whether to suggest repair or replacement uh, when sending somebody on to the surgeons. And generally, I guess the surgeons make their own decision. But do you want to talk about this paper a little bit? Right. Well, so in the Western world, in Europe and North America, you know, most patients going for surgery for mitral regurgitation have mitral valve prolapse or myxomatous disease or Barlow's disease, whatever term is used at your institution. And those patients, I think it's pretty clear that valve repair is preferable. And so the guidelines actually say if you have a repairable valve, you, know, you should go to a center that does repairs at a high success rate and your outcomes will be better. And I certainly have many patients who've had a repair decades ago and do well you know, forever after with little degeneration. So the mitral valve prolapse patients, I think there's no question. But worldwide, the most common cause of mitral regurgitation is rheumatic heart disease. And we have very little data on those patients. So this study is uh, really wonderful because they have, uh, Kim and colleagues had over 1,700 patients with rheumatic valve disease. Um, most of them were women, so we're about 70% women. They're much younger than patients with aortic valve disease. They're only about 52 years old on average. And again, they, they did a propensity score matched analysis and looked at outcomes with repair versus replacement. Although, as is usual for um, studies of valve disease, it's not randomized. So they tried to propensity match instead. And they found that those who had a repair you know, had, few, had uh, fewer valve uh, related complications with a lower risk of hemorrhagic events, but they actually, you know, didn't have any difference in mortality or reoperation, which is very interesting. It is, isn't it? Because you you might think that if it's a repair for rheumatic uh, mitral valve disease, that there might be continuation of the underlying disease process in the repaired valve, but they didn't find that. Yeah, well, they didn't find that, although I think, you know, Dr. Antunes in an editorial you know, comments that that's the real challenge in rheumatic disease is that, is that, first of all, the repair is more difficult because you have a distorted valve that's fibrotic and often calcified. They often have a component of both stenosis and regurgitation, and there's a lot of variability. I mean, not all rheumatic populations around the world are different. Some patients, you know, in some areas of the world, it's a very... Um, easily repaired valve with mostly stenosis where it's easy to do commissurotomy either closed or open and get excellent results. In other areas, you know, when women are about in their 50s, you often have a pretty deformed valve. And as you said, the concern is that patients will have an ongoing uh, dysfunction that progressive disease after the repair. And I think that what, you know, I think a point he makes is that, you know, it really is going to depend upon you know, the surgeon dealing with the pathology having experience. So, you know, places that don't normally do rheumatic valves are probably not going to have as good outcomes 
as places that do a lot of rheumatic valve and gain experience. So I think that colors it, but we have a long ways to go on really optimizing the treatment of these patients with rheumatic disease. And there is a, a very good point also made in the same issue about the use of uh, specialist heart valve centers. Uh, is that something that exists in, in the States widely? Yeah, I think, you know, it's uh, it's in guidelines in both European and American guidelines to have heart valve centers and heart valve teams. You know, that is, uh, I think, I, in a way, it's just an extension of what we've always done. You know, as somebody who sees patients with valve disease, I always had worked closely with my surgeons you know, in decision making with, you know, I'm sending patients to them when I think they need surgery and they're sending patients to me when they think it's patient is complex or they're not sure that surgery is indicated when the patient's been referred by someone outside. We've added to that the interventional cardiologist and we've kind of formalized it with the um, imaging specialist as well. And then, of course, they're all the the, the staff who help us organize the care of the patient and, and manage and follow them. So it really has become a team at most centers that, that do valve procedures, both uh, transcatheter and, and surgical. And I do think patients get the best care going to a center that has a lot of experience because you know, we see a lot of patients with these relatively rare conditions and therefore you know, tend to have better outcomes. So um, patients know that. They find it themselves, they search out the valve centers, and I think that's a trend both you know, across the United States for, for sure. And finally, Catherine, let's just finish off with the discussion about tricuspid regurgitation, which I think we all see fairly commonly, but tend to think of often, at least I do, if it's mild to moderate, as fairly benign. But there are devices coming onto the market that may offer uh, a treatment option for these kind of patients. Yeah, we have a really excellent review article from uh, from the Mayo Clinic group on tricuspid valve disease, and it's a little complicated. This we we tried to focus in this one on more isolated tricuspid valve regurgitation. Of course, many people have tricuspid regurgitation in the setting of mitral valve disease or other left-sided heart disease, and the issues there might be a little different. But I think. The challenge in tricuspid valve disease is that we, we've known for decades that tricuspid regurgitation is associated with worse prognosis, and that the more tricuspid regurgitation, the worse the prognosis. But it's never been clear, and it still is not clear, whether reducing tricuspid regurgitation will improve that prognosis or whether it's uh, just a marker of a sicker patient. And I think we, we might begin to get answers to that because our therapeutic options have been so limited. For the tricuspid valve, you know, annular rings have been an approach with surgical repair. Um, outcomes have not always been excellent. Prosthetic valves um, are not a good option on the right side because the mechanical valves thrombose very easily and the biologic valves degenerate very quickly. So we now have a variety of transcatheter options or at various stages of, of clinical trials. And, and the question will be whether doing these transcatheter procedures earlier in the disease process you know, or, or even in people with severe disease will actually improve their outcomes and make them feel better. So this, this review article is great because it will introduce you to all the different approaches available currently and give you an idea of where we're going with that technique. And I must say, there's some lovely graphics that accompany that article. Um, and uh, thank you very much, Catherine. I'll put links to all of the, the papers we've discussed uh, underneath the podcast when it comes out. And uh, certainly would encourage readers to go and digest that uh, valvular heart disease special 
which is coming out in uh, early May. Thank you very much Great. indeed, Catherine. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.